Hi, and welcome back to a podcast over a convenience store, Talking Twin Peaks. Uh, I'm Joe Fremming from the Joe Down. With me, as always, is Paul Muad'Dib from Cast That Movie. Hello. Yeah, say hello, Paul. Hello. (laughs) Sorry. Hello. 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 (laughs) And uh, if you've been listening, you know that we are now in the getting into the weeds of season two of Twin Peaks. And uh, we're going to do episodes three and four, The Man Behind the Glass, and Laura's Secret Diary. And, uh, Paul, I've, I've been thinking about this. I think this season, especially episode three, I'm going to be swerving from... I'm going to be heading into Joe Down Territory snark. <laughs> <laughs> episode three is not good. <laughs> So, all right, I and I would agree with you. Um, so this particular episode, just to kind of give some statistics of it, was written by, excuse me, was directed by Le- Leslie uh, Glattner for episode three. For episode four, it was directed by Tom Holland. This one was written by Robert Ingalls, and we will see that, um, you know, he kind of takes a step back Um and some of the other writers start coming in, and um, then the um, and actually the uh, episode four, which was um, um, Laura's secret diary, diary was written by Jerry Stahl, Mark Frost, um, Harley Payton, and Robert Ingalls. Um, the ratings for number for number three were at a thirteen point seven which is a huge drop-off from the series start, which was at 19.1, or the, the season start, and was so poorly received that the next, the follow-up one, was 12.8. Um, yes, I think you should go into the snark. I will try to play devil's advocate on some of this, um, but, you know, it was funny, um, as, as I was watching it with the wife as well, She's seen these with me. She watches this with me. And even she made the comment as we were going through looking at these. She's like, there are things that I forgot about these episodes just because they weren't that interesting. And I'm like, yeah. Uh-huh. So I'll let you start with your snark. Let's get it. Let's, let's You do Joe Down, and I will play uh, the fair guy here that I do in the cast of that movie. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, so episode three, The Man Behind the Glass. This is... Uh... This is a, an alarming episode in that it it paves the way for a lot of the stuff we end up hating about season two, and the the reason is it's it's a lot of B, C, and D plot, which to me seems like a terrible idea to be following up with the two Lynch directed episodes that came before it. I would it's, agree with that. It's so it it starts off all right. But look, there's there's a few things I hate about this episode. One is the callback to just you and I by James. We'll get that in the next two episodes. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. That uh, song is that song is playing in the background in both episodes at certain points. Uh, Nadine's super strength. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Oh God! Uh, there was another thing here. Uh, oh yeah, Dick Tremaine. Oh. Okay, look, this is where I'm going more in analysis than a beat by beat here. 
and this is Joe down territory, and that Dick Tremaine is one of the worst developed characters I think I've seen in TV in that he's set up to be an antagonist to Andy, but the best antagonists are the ones that you can still kind of relate to. And he is just not a relatable character. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of a scumbag and it's mm-hmm. not the actor's fault. He's just, he's, that's what he was tight. He was cast as, and that's what he's doing with it. I just, the whole Dick Tremaine, Andy, Lucy thing, I just wish never happened. <laughs> and uh, I wish it never happened with the atomic blast that invented Bob. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would uh, I would agree with that. Um, see, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit. I'm gonna start going in the beat because when we get to that point, I want to get to that point because I have a lot of feelings about Dick as well. <laughs> Um, the episode starts promising. Um, yes, very, you, promising. very promising. Roman uh, Ronette Plasky is suffering because she's freaking out, and you find out that someone put some chemicals. That Bob was there. Bob tried to kill her. Um, he poisoned her. Uh, oh, we assume he he poisoned her IV and stuck a finger uh, stuck the the letter under her fingernail, and we now have RBT. And he admits to, Cooper admits to um, uh, Albert and um, Harry that he tells them about the clues of the giant, which was weird. And that felt like, again, continuity issue because I believed he already did. Yeah, he did. Uh, I believe he did last two, ep- yeah, last two episodes. Yeah, but we did get a nice snark from Albert here when he asks if there's any relation to the dwarf. Any, any relation to the dwarf. And, um, uh, which is great. So, yeah, so then you're kind of like, okay, this is cool. Then you have Donna. Then we go to Donna. Now, Donna's was, Nancy Drew Mysteries? <laughs> yeah, this was interesting to me. I don't know if it was the makeup work that was done in that particular episode, if it was what... But all of a sudden, Donna stops looking like she's in high school and looks like she's a 28-year-old fucking reporter. Like, like I noticed there was some severe age in my mind to her. Like, I'm not buying that you're a high school student anymore, Donna. And you get Harold, and I Harold is a fun character. I love Harold. Uh, reason uh, Harold is one of those characters. It's like, it also kind of... Twin Peaks was pretty progressive in showing there's different people out there and like they treated them with respect and Harold is agoraphobic. And I've known people who are kind of like that or had like a, a, a degree of that where they, you know, anxiety is so overwhelming. They can't leave their house. So I like Harold actually. I think he's actually one of the better developed characters in the show. Yeah, yes, and he has his arc, and we'll get into that, and um, he, uh, um, yeah, I think he's one of the more better developed characters. Interesting how he came out of nowhere in my mind in this one, but at the same time, it works, and he, you know, you could tell there's kind of this thing going on between him and Donna, which is kind of B-plot shit. (sighs) Yeah, but Harold also has a lot of, like, the cool thing about Harold is he's actually 
even though he's stuck, he's he's gonna always be trapped in the B plot of everything, <laughs> Twin Peaks, even in Fire Walk with me to an extent. Uh, he holds keys that are definitely a plot, and uh, it will get into it the next episode. But he is the he is the gatekeeper of Laura's secret diary. Yes, and that comes up pretty freaking quick. And yeah, he is um, he he is central. It's weird because he has like this relationship thing with Donna, but the information he holds is very a plot or. Is intended to be a plot. Let's put it that way. And I think had the show not gone the direction it had to go, I think he would have been more important. Um, and so then, um, you know, we, we find out that he sent the letter. He called her, um, and you know that Laura told Harold to reach out to Donna if anything ever happened to her. And I feel like he was supposed to give the diary to her. And he's been stringing Donna along because he's interested in Donna. Yeah, and you know, he's he's a garfobic too, so he doesn't have a lot of visitors. I can see him also using that as an excuse to, you know, he can't go outside, but he can allow people he trusts. And just through Laura's diary and just being friends with Laura, I think he trusts trusts Donna to an extent where he's comfortable inviting her into his home. Mm-hmm. Although he yes, because Laura Flynn Boyle's a fucking train wreck. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. This feels like it should have been Maddie, in my opinion. I think it would have been more interesting had it not had it been Maddie and not Donna, but that's you know what it is. So then we get to uh, the Audrey story, which I, I I honestly don't like this story at all. I don't like what they did with with Audrey here. I think it's a waste. Although I do love that you know. We get Michael Parks. Um, <laughs> we get we get Jean Reno, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, basically they got they they're gonna hold Audrey because they know that um, um, you know they know who she is now, and they're keeping her fucking dosed up on heroin, um, and they're gonna use her to get to. Why does everyone have all these convoluted plots? They're gonna use her to, to blackmail money. Out of their boss, uh, out of their boss, they are going to use this as a means to get Dale, and they're going to kill her at the end, anyways. They're like, well, we can't let her live now, which yeah. is like, okay, your plot sucks, you guys. Your plot sucks. Yeah, and it's it's weird. It doesn't make any sense in that Ben Horn's a ma- is a man of more means than Blackie or even the Renaults, so it seems like. If you're, he seems he seems like a guy. If you're gonna screw around with, you you want to have your bases covered. They don't seem to have that. This whole plot is. Uh, it's interesting. Did you bring this up on purpose after we talked about Laura Flynn Boyle here, Paul? <laughs> because I have a feeling Laura Flynn Boyle's recently got this stupid plot. Yeah, I I kind of know it, it all links up, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. I did bring this up as a as a reason why because it goes right into it because it's like okay. We have this Harold story with Laura Flynn Boyle, which doesn't feel like Laura, Laura Flynn Boyle should be involved in it. And then we got the Audrey Horn fucking story that doesn't feel like that this should be happening at all. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is fucking asinine. Yeah, it's the, the what blackmail. So their plot is to blackmail Ben and get a federal agent. And uh, I'm sorry, but that's there's no way 
this would even realistically be <laughs> a right. thing. Like right. this is so stupid. Like it's really, really dumb. Like they, why would you, why would you ruin your drug business? Why would you ruin the brothel business? Why would you do these things? This is just stupid. As soon as they found out, you know, honestly, like this, this should have been solved very early in the in in the second in the first season, which I feel like it would have had we not had Laura Flynn Boyle fucking issues. Where Audrey would have just been kicked out of the fucking brothel. Like, fuck you, get out of here. Because she was going by a fake name. They didn't know who she was. She wasn't following the fucking rules. Blackie made it very clear early on that if you don't follow the rules, you're fucking out. So, what the fuck? Yeah, and then the motivation between Jean Renault is that Cooper killed his brother. And that's not even... Nobody even thinks Cooper is responsible for the death of Jacques. Like what? Where did this come from? Like I was really confused by his rationale here. Well, yeah, because they're investigating the death, right? Like everyone yeah. knows they're investigating the death of Jacques Renault. So it wasn't Cooper that killed him. Yeah, and you know, there's it, no reason for Jean to be thinking this, but he he thinks it until is until. Until he fakes his death and becomes Esteban and gets into the national uh, criminal syndicate with Bill from Kill Bill, but that's all. That's all like a canon in my head. Well, yeah, no, and 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 the other thing is, is that well, yeah, he's basically playing the same character, right? Yeah. And and uh, everybody else is. I was watching this episode and I realized Michael Parks' accent sounded weirdly familiar. So I found the clip of him playing Esteban and Kill Bill and I forwarded it to Paul. <laughs> yeah, like... and it's, it's the same character. It's the same accent. You find out, you know, he ran the brothel for how many? It's the same fucking character. So, yes, tw- I think you're right. Twin Peaks, somehow Quentin Tarantino annexed the Twin Peaks world into his Tinoverse. So <laughs> good for good for Quentin Tarantino on that. Which now is a whole nother fucking thing that's going on because, that, you know, that, that gives us a, another idea. But it, so, it's so frustrating in this because, again, it, it's just, he makes a point of also saying that his, that his brother Bernard was killed. Okay, so why aren't you investigating? It's very easy to find out that that was Leo that killed him. Right. So why the fuck are we going after Cooper? Like this is a plot that has no thread and doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it, it makes less sense to me than the things that go on in the Black Lodge. At least I can wrap my head around that logic. <laughs> this logic, I just can't. I just, yeah, no. I don't understand this. But uh <sighs> Let's get away from this for a little bit. Uh, we kind of s- skipped over. So I want to go back because the fingernail, there's RBT, is now is uh, under Teresa Banks, Laura Palmer, and now Ronette. These little pieces of paper that are forced under. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get this information, and we also have information on who shot Cooper. And I love it was with a James Bond gun. Was it the Walter PPK? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It was the Walter PPK. And uh, you know, Albert's being Albert. He's snarking away, and then uh, oh, he just that. gets on Harry's nerves, and like we get this spiel of nonviolence and how he's like conscientious objector to violence and all that. 
it's just like a I love it because it fits with Albert's character. Yes. <laughs> comes out of left field, though. Yes. Like, he knows he's being an asshole. It's just, he can't help it. <laughs> yes. Um, he, uh, oh, God. It's, I want to pull it up. I had it written down. Um, yeah, because he quotes Martin Luther King and Gandhi and that he this, doesn't. This, this, this is it. This is it. He says, because he's going to get punched and he, you know, he makes so he's like, can I, is there anything I can do? And he goes, yeah, you can, you know, learn to not drag your knuckles. Um, um, and he goes, you know, he grabs him and he, and he, you know, he goes, well, I will admit to a certain cynicism. The fact is that I am a naysayer and hatchet man in the fight against violence. I pride myself in taking a punch and I gladly take another because I choose to live my life in the company of Gandhi and King. My concerns are global. I reject absolutely revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. He puts on his glasses. I love you, Sheriff Truman. And he walks out. And it is so, so awesome. I mean, this just knowing the Albert we get in the return and this Albert, I really wish he would have gotten a spinoff. I, I could just watch <laughs> Miguel play Albert on a TV serial or a movie or whatever. I just love this character. Yes. Yes. And this just gave, um, um, so much, uh, depth, more depth to Albert. Yeah. It made him such more an intriguing character. So like I said, I mean, this episode didn't bother me as much. Like I know there's a lot of, a lot of bullshit in it. Um, but the fact that there was still more of the B plot, the A plot moving in the B plot, like, yes, looking at it, um, oh, hold on, Paul, hold on, because okay. sandwich, sandwich between this great scene and then like the, the bomb that comes with Leland coming in, we get Dick Tremaine showing up and talking to Lucy. This is my problem with this episode in that we get interesting things and then we get like the dullest crap that I don't give two shits about. <laughs> well, and this should have been, we'll get to it in episode four, because this, the Dick Tremaine story should have ended real fucking fast. He should have been in and out, and we should have gotten our, and we, we'll get yeah, to that. He in his character should have been done when he offered Lucy the money for the abortion. Exactly. Full ex stop. Exactly. <laughs> Full stop. End of the story. I'm like, okay, Dick Tremaine's gone. Um, so, yeah, so let's 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 back up just a minute because um, just a step because I want to get to the whole Leland Palmer thing. Leland um, is being, you know, had been nuts and he needed to find his way a last episode because he knew who Bob was. He recognized Bob and he goes to the police station and. um. It says, I know that guy. He lived next to my parents' summer house in Pearl. Well, he was the neighbor of a neighbor. Yeah, there was uh, a vacant lot. Yep. Uh, so there was his house, his grandparents' house in Pearl Lakes. There was a neighbor to the side, but then there was the vacant lot, and then there was this other, like, other house where this man who fits the description of what he sees on the, that very creepy wanted poster, which traumatized. Paul and I a great deal mm -hmm. uh, he not only does he kind of recite the bit that we 
got from uh, James. James. Yeah, he recites what Laura says to James as what this Bob said to Leland as a kid. That's like, this is like, I don't know, man. This was like giant red herring on the real killer of Laura Palmer. And like, they weren't even intending it at this point. Right. But I think like they put the scene in here as if they ever had to be like, man, we made it so blatant in this episode. It's very blatant in this episode. It's super blatant. Um, Bob would flick matches at him. You want to play with fire, little boy? Mm-hmm. And he flicks the match. And it happens to land right in the ashtray. Yeah, yeah. And they play that sinister music. And it's like, yes, it's very, very obvious at this point. Um, you know, what? what's going on? Okay, now let's get to Dick. Because at this point, Dick kind of comes in. Well, he came in before, and then they wrap around yeah. it, and then they, yeah. go to, they go to lunch at the diner where, long story short, Lucy and Andy had a break in the relationship where then she started seeing Dick. Uh, they had sex, which freaks okay. Lucy out because uh, since Andy is sterile, that means Dick is the likely. I want to dig into this. I want to dig into this a little bit because this fucking sucks. So... We find out that Lucy and and um, and Annie had been together for a year and a half, and when we entered the show, they were together. Yes, but apparently, in this fucking changing of the of the of the continuity, every Thursday for three months, she's been cheating on Andy by going out with this dick, and. Um, they ended up, they were, they were going to go to the, she was, he was going to take her to the space needle and have dinner with him in Seattle. But instead he took her to the, to the pancake plantation where they had two (laughs) bottles of wine and ended up fucking in the department store after hours. Well, it's good to see Dick Tremaine. It's just as romantic as a 22 drunk college kid. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and Lucy <laughs> fell for it, and she's like, you know, oh, it was exciting, but, you know, and then you know, he's like, oh, I, I promised to buy you that dress, you know, at, at my 20% employee, or to let you buy it, not even that he was going to buy it, that she could buy a dress with his 20% discount, and then she yells, it better be a maternity dress, and admits that, that, he's, that, that she's pregnant. The whole time you find out that he's been standing her up for weeks that ever since the night that they fucked in the department store, he got what he wanted. He was out. Uh, I mean, it's just he is such a one dimensional character. He pretends to be, you know, and there was kind of this, you know, at the time you got to remember cultural, you know, anti-globalization was kind of a big thing in the 90s. And, you know, he's very much to be made out to be this British foreign fuck. And um, he's just a very one-dimensional, as you said, so he'll be an antagonist to Andy, but the way he's written, he's written very, very flat. There's no depth to him, which you need in a good antagonist. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just, it's poor. It's just, this, it's fucking poor. And this is a continuing thread that'll be in the second, the sec, this season of Twin Peaks, especially. And it's, they also go for court, quirkiness for the sake of quirkiness which drives me 
absolutely up the wall. There was a reason why the quirkiness worked when it was it was spread out, you know. Mm-hmm. And this season, it just starts globbing it on, and it becomes a at times a parody of itself, which really pisses me off. And it makes watching these episodes that much more difficult. It does. It it, it absolutely does. So yeah. So then there's this whole fucking thing, and then. <laughs> Donna and uh, James and Maddie are talking at the diner and Laura Flynn Boyle comes in and, you know, she sees them holding hands. And, you know, this is kind of this whole thing with this with this storyline is that when you really analyze and look at it, part of what was driving James to um Chewed Maddie in a way was the fact that Donna was being a bitch and weird, and I, I don't I don't think there was really much going on between the two of them per se. I, I think there 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 could have been, but it in a way it felt more like it was just consoling to really you know these the people are going through these tragedies. Well, Donna's being fucking Laura Flynn Boyle behind the scenes and fucking up. It just, it didn't click. Am I, it, at least to me, tell me I'm wrong. No, it doesn't click. And we've kind of hammered home that, like, she's the reason why there's no Cooper Audrey. Uh, it's also the reason why there's no James and Donna this season. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, this is another thing that's sacrificed. Like, James, like, you know. He's not a well-written character, uh, but there's times where like I like him enough, and I liked his dynamic with Donna and the pilot a lot, and that there are these, like you mentioned, these two high schoolers going sharing a trauma of their best friend and girlfriend, and then she Donna suddenly becomes a femme fatale, who suddenly went from looking like she's seventeen to like thirty, and I don't yes. know. The amount of cigarettes she's not Laura Flynn Boyle is smoking in real life, but I well and Donna I mean Laura Flynn Boyle had some really hardcore control issues going on. And I think there you can look into it. There were some drug issues and it looked you know, it looked like she'd been having some hard living during during that off pint. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so like and as you know, controlled substances can alter whatever so like we just get like a bunch of this nonsense Mm -hmm. uh just yeah it's so bad and so there she i do like that she calls james an idiot to his face and then he has to be like what's that supposed to mean it's like yeah at least we get a good dig at james i'll give it gets a point for that (laughs) yeah yeah it does get a point for that and you know they they they're already setting up the precursor that James is fucking done because he makes the comment of how he wants to just get on his bike and fucking leave. Um, what else do we got? Okay, so, so we go back. Just the blackmail of Audrey. We've touched that. But no, we get to kind of like a uh, another highlight of this episode, a thing that I like. And it's uh, Philip Gerard. He's selling boots to Harry. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Philip is Mike. I I usually refer to him as Mike because I usually forget that he had, Mike is like he takes on a host, but it's like we're so adapted to him being 
Mike Gerard, Philip Gerard, this is like, yeah, I just usually, he's selling Harry some boots. <laughs> yes. Hamming it up. Uh, what's, what's the actor's name again? Uh, Al Strobel. Al Strobel. He mm-hmm. just, yeah, I, he hams it up as <laughs> the hapless shoe salesman. Yes. And then he sees the picture of Bob. And he gets, he gets discombobulated. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, yes. And uh, he doesn't know why. And we kind of do because we watched it. But this is kind of like what kind of gives us a glimmer in what happens with the the lodge entities and their hosts. In that the image of Bob, I think, jarred Mike, who's in Philip. Like, they're kind of one and the same, but I don't think they, you know, it's not like Harvey Dent Two-Face thing. No, it's. In that, it it spooks him because he 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 recognizes it, and then he needs his medication. Mm-hmm. Without the medication, without chemicals, he points. Without chemicals, chemicals are to keep Mike at bay. I think mm-hmm. it's like a psychosis type thing. Not that Mike is like violent like Bob. He has been, but I think it's just because what happens is he needs to go to the bathroom. He's trying to shoot up his chemical. He does it, and then Mike comes slithering out, look, saying, talking like, Bob, I know you're here. I know you're close. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and we'll get more into what I think is going on there because it's obvious that Mike's a lodge entity, and lodge entities take, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, go into people. But there's something very interesting about this particular if you know it seems it's almost somewhat symbiotic and this one's not and maybe we'll go into that i now we'll go into that later because i know we're gonna symbiotic i think there's like a relation between mike and philip in that (laughs) it's not it's not like when bob takes over and he takes over completely when he does i think there's Something different, though, with this. And I, I'll, I'll, when we get to that episode, because there's a particular episode where I go, there is something different about this one than, say, with the giant, with um, with Bob. Um, it, there's something off on this relationship between Philip and Mike. And I'll, I'll get to that. And um, when, when we get to that, well, OK, we'll talk about it now because it's already kind of leaning to it. So he has to take, you know, the medications. Philip knows this, and you find out later that it's this weird, you know, Albert does a tox up on it, and it is something he's never fucking seen before. And Mike, I mean, Philip needs this to keep Mike at bay. And when Mike comes out, it's detrimental to Phil, to Philip. The point where he's bedridden later, and he's very, very sick, and he's going to die. I don't know if it, maybe it was the cutting of the arm, um, you know, it was the change of what of what Mike was from being a, a, a black lodge entity to finding, you know, to moving to the white lodge. I don't know, but I feel like that, or maybe there's just a host issue there. But there is something distinctly different about Philip and Mike's uh, uh, relationship than say, because I even feel like that with Bob, that Leland. We, we've learned is kind of a shyster lawyer. He yeah. comes across as this really nice guy, but he's very willing to do terrible things with the horns. 
And I feel like that's him kind of gleaning off of the Bob and kind of feeding off of Bob. And Bob's kind of giving him some, you know, there's a, it's more of a symbiotic where it feels like with Mike and Philip, it's more uh, parasitic. Yeah. I, I don't, and I think Mike is a, since he's more of a light, lighter entity now, I think Mike and I have actually came up with that drug for Philip. Oh, that's possible. Now that's and a great I just idea. Can't figure it out. And Mike, Mike, no, I think Mike knows the danger he encompasses. So mm-hmm. that's he kind of. I like that. I, I like that theory. I think that's a valid like, theory. Up, yeah, he'll come up with the, something that keeps him, keeps Philip from, because <laughs> he gets he's like he goes through withdrawals and shit when he's in full control. It just he just looks like you know. If, you ever met somebody who just is detoxing? That's what happens when Mike takes over. <laughs> it's really just... And that's very, 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 very... Yes, I like your theory on it. I like your idea of what that is. Um, okay, so that whole thing's going on. Shelly's <laughs> talking to Harry. Uh Cooper smells insurance scam. So yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk that real quick. Yep, yep. And you know, he definitely you know kind of scares um, Shelly because Shelly's not going to talk, and he's like, "Fine, go. It's insurance money." And you know, and she's like, "What?" You know, that it, it, it really goes nowhere in terms of her ever coming back and wanting to talk about it. Um. Then we get Ben Horn calling. Um. About. Uh, uh, uh no um no i'm sorry cooper goes to the goes to the great northern and asks ben about audrey if he's seen audrey and ben gets very weird with him and even though he called him last episode to yeah. say she was missing and you know didn't know where she was and then he kind of goes on this fucking tirade on cooper about how cooper wants to fuck his daughter and how he shouldn't and it gets very awkward. <laughs> Laura Flynn. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. This is total Laura Flynn. And then we cut back to more of the Jacques Renault and uh, I mean, Jean Renault, Blackie and Emery fucking storyline, which is just atrocious. Um, and it then then we get the Japanese man that we don't know seems to be following Cooper around. And, uh, you know, I, I, it, it gets kind of off the rails and then, and then to go even more off the rails, we get the fucking Ed and Nadine. Oh yeah. So Nadine is stuck at the age of 18. The trauma of the suicide. This is again, with the finale of season one, it, they should have left her dead. Is mm-hmm. that, even though she gets a redemption in the return, and it's a really awesome scene. It is a really awesome scene. It's but, just this is just it. And this is, I mean, these are just like these. The, these aren't even cracks. These are not full blown holes now into the problems of season two. <laughs> it just took the first episode after Lynch. Left for it to go completely off the rails, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that happens. And then, but then we get some fun stuff. 
the stuff I didn't mind. Um, where they got it, they're gonna do hypnosis on Doctor Toby with his <laughs> wife, wife and yeah, with his wife. Rooms all decked out and oh, God, I loved it. And she's got you know fucking shocker crystals and shit. And he wrote up his own way of getting hypnotized. And what was her name? Uh, Ilani. Yes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And. You know, they're doing the, they're, and they, he actually drops a really big clue. Because he says that when he was at Easter Park, he could smell the motor oil. And this is them, I think, I mean, again, this is over the head blatant that, you know, the, 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 you know, that Leland's the one that bludgeoned him. <clears throat> and that Leland is who we who we find out he is these are some very blatant clues here but he through the hypnosis sees leland palmer and identifies leland palmer the episode ends with with okay so i have some problems in this with with does also this episode and just kind of some things that are occurring and it was really really blatant in this particular episode so donna goes to has actually a really good scene where she argues and yells at yeah uh laura's grave when she's dropping off the, the 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 lady slipper she's letting up all the frustrations that have been happening mm-hmm. you know and she has a really good line too like they didn't bury you deep enough yes yes um and then I'm guessing after she's done and on her way over, Maddie and James hug because James can't find. Um, they make out, man. Well, I wasn't. They were close. They didn't make out. They didn't. They make kissed. Out. They kissed. Uh, fine. Okay. They kiss. But it was Donna Sykes. Well, okay. Here's the thing that, okay. It's the Palmer house. Nobody knocks in Twin Peaks. Donna, you got to realize that... They're Donna, all Kramer. <laughs> yes. Yes, Donna totally Kramered her way into the Palmer house at what is probably, what, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night and <laughs> and sees them. So then she storms off in her van. And... And when did she get a van? Because the pilot, she, she, she had to steal her sister's bicycle. Yeah, I don't know when she got this van. If I remember correctly, I think that's actually Snake's van, uh, oh, as I like to call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's maybe it's the Meals on Wheels van. That that might be it. And um, it's just what the fuck. So then, and we so get to hear that the op- that opening chords of just you and I. Yes, we do. And then, um. And then fucking Maddie's bitching the, to, to Leland. <laughs> I love it. I know. She's just, uh, you know, she's bitching to Leland about how she just wants to be her and everyone thinks she's Laura. And then the police show up. Yep. Uh, 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 Cooper and and Harry show up and yep. said the door was open. Okay, fine. Makes sense. The door's open. They came in and they arrest him for the murder of Jacques Renault. And the episode ends with Donna running to Harold because, of course, we have to have something going on there. 
And as she's creepily like molesting his flowers and stuff on the, <laughs> it was really weird. Um, she finds the secret. She finds a book, opens it up, and it says the diary of Laura Palmer. Secret diary of Laura. Palmer. Yes, yes, the secret because diary. Because it's the tie-in with the book. Yes. Uh, I don't. I the book I think was released a little bit before season two. If I remember right. Ah, uh, you know, I was thinking about that because I was looking through it. I don't think it was because it, it in in the book, it says who killed her. And it says who who Bob is in the oh, secret diary. Let me see. I'm trying to see when this freaking thing came out. It's been so. Yeah. yeah. It might. Yeah. It was published between the airing of the first and second season. So if you did read the book, then you would have known who killed Laura Palmer. Yeah. That's weird. I don't think anybody read the book because if you. This is one of the reasons why I never read it. It's, it's basically a really dry life of a high school girl. It's, yeah, if I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, it says who... Because it was published September 15th, 1990. Oh, no, that's right. That's right. There's pages missing in it. Pages missing, yes. Because yes. she does mention Bob in yeah, she does mention Bob in it, but there's redacted missing pages. Yes. Yeah, and that yes. was kind of the thing. Like people bought it because they thought, "Well, we'll figure. We'll tell you who killed Laura Palmer." Well, yeah, we all know who killed Laura Palmer. Bob killed Laura Palmer, mm-hmm. but we don't know what the hell Bob is. Yes, yes. Um, but Lynch did say. Now this is already happening. Because Lynch did say that the reader could, uh, the careful reader could would know the clues and who the killer is from the diary, and that the killer's identity would be revealed in the second season. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And especially, basically, it was revealed in this episode. If you're following the clues, if you're following the clues, you already know. Um, at this point, Lynch doesn't care because the studio said this is what has to fucking happen. Yes. So um, that's where this episode ends. Yep. So now, episode four. It opens, picks up a little bit. I like this one. I liked this one more. And it opens with that very creepy, very Lynch style yep. um, opening, you know, where you hear the, the voiceover as it's going through the really weird imagery, um, you know, of uh, almost sounds like Waldo. Of, yeah. Yo, Daddy, Laura, and Leland, you know, and it cuts to Leland getting interrogated. Yeah, and it's just because this is like the overwhelm. He's, I think it works because it shows just how overwhelmed Leland is. Mm -hmm. And like spoilers, yeah, he's the he is the killer. But I think it's also like, you know, the world's on a the weight of the world's on his shoulders. He's guilty of so many crimes, and he's been he's finally been nabbed for at least one of them. And if you know anything about Bob, Bob does not like to be contained. No. The big thing in the return is he does not want to be put in one spot. No. No. No, he does not. So. And for some reason, Doc Hayward's in on the interrogation. Right, right. It's super fucking weird. Why is, again, why is Doc Hayward involved in all this shit? I don't know. 
It's super out there. Um, and then... Um, but Leland admits he killed Jacques because uh, he went there because he was like, I wanted to, you know, the man who killed my daughter. Well, how do you know? It's like, well, you guys arrested him. Kind of <laughs> implicating the, the cops as, like, the reason why he killed Jacques, which is not a really good look, especially for a snaky uh, lawyer type. Like, yeah, I see where you're going with this, Leland. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and as they're walking out, um, you know, Doc Hayward talks to Cooper about his, you know, Leland's, uh, you know, I'm worried about him, you know, no, no, no parent should have to bury their child. And Cooper gets very snarky with him. Oh, he snaps at him. He snaps at him. Um, and then... murdered Doc Hayward? Yep. And then he storms off, and then... Andy. Oh. <laughs> Andy. Andy thinks he can pass a sperm test if he retook it like it's an SAT or so. Yeah, well, he's been wearing, he's been wearing the, the boxers, not briefs, like he was told. So, yeah, so Doc gives him a, 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 a container... Um, to jerk off into and says, I'll be waiting in the car. So Andy's got to fucking jack off at his, at his office. So he grabs a, uh, <laughs> he grabs flash a flash world. world. He grabs a flash world, runs in the Lucy. Um, they bump down and she was trying to get more coffee and sees him and puts two and two together and is just disgusted by him. And this season two does Andy and Lucy wrong. <laughs> does them wrong. Does them just wrong. And then he drops the fucking sperm uh, cup um, uh, under a... Under a bench. chair. Yeah, under a chair. And as he's down there, Cooper sees his boots. And where'd you get those boots, Andy? You know, but he doesn't say it that way. He's like, what, what, what are you doing, Andy? And, Co- and poor Andy's like, I don't want to say. This is really <laughs> personal. And... No, he asked, what's that, Andy? Yeah, what's that, Andy? And Andy's like... He's referring to the boots, Andy thinks he's talking about his sperm. Yeah, yeah, thinks he's talking about the fucking jack-off cup. And Cooper puts two and two together that Andy's wearing the same boots that they found at... The same brand that they found at Leo's. And he's like, the Giants said there was a clue. We thought it was the cocaine. It was the boots. And so then... um, How is... Then Ben Horn is working on a plan where he's going to make more money or some shit. I don't know. Fuck it. Ben Horn's crazy. And then um, John Renault shows up and holds uh, Audrey Ransom for like $125,000, I think is what it was. Yeah. Uh, was... Before this, before this, because it comes up again, as M.T. Wentz is a travel writer coming to Twin Peaks. Yes. And this is like, yeah, because it's a good uh, thing, but the consigliere tell, says that nobody at the paper knows who this is. If somebody works in newspaper business, this is absolutely not true. This is something stupid people say. Yes. <laughs> it's dumb. I don't even work in newspaper, and I fucking know this, right? Like, this is just fucking dumb. Yeah, supposedly nobody knows who this M.T. Wentz is, which is just, oh, I hate the M.T. Wentz storyline. And everyone's freaking out about it. So, yeah, the Consulate Urge tells Ben Horn. Ben Horn doesn't care. No. He doesn't give two fucks. 
And yeah, so he walks in his room. There's John Renault with with the with the video of Audrey, and says he basically wants to be the new partner of his. That he's just the messenger. He's not involved in it, which is bullshit. And that his his thing in it is that he wants to be the new partner instead of Blackie. So John Renault's already trying to fuck over Blackie, uh, and. That he wants Cooper to deliver the money. And rather than being open and honest with Cooper about everything, of course, he fucking yeah. does his Ben Horn snaky shit. And so. And again, Ben Horn's a man of means. Like, why? I mean, okay, so Jean Renault's in there with evidence that he knows where his daughter is. Call Cooper and be like, hey, this. This weird French Canadian man is trying to blackmail me. Let's get my daughter throw this man in the fucking egg. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so again, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just fucking dumb. Oh my god. And then you go to the double R and they're freaking out about MT Lance. Yeah. And spoiler alert, it's Norma's mom. Yeah, well, we'll find we don't find out this episode though, Joe. Miss Quick, do take your Joe down starkiness. Not attention. <laughs> yes, I'm but sorry. Yes. It's just something I don't even give a shit. <laughs> no, it's it's bad. It, I I will give you that. It's like this is e plot at this point. Like this is so e plot because it doesn't have anything to do with anything. Yeah, but it is... does. It does. You know, you get the feeling though that guy Hank is gonna do something to Big Ed. Because he tells Norma the call began. Yeah. And, you know, do all these things. And then... Um, and this is what we call padding, people. And what they're doing is, is they're padding these episodes with so much stupid crap. Mm-hmm. Because they have to fill 22 of them. Yep. Instead of what they probably should have done is kept it as a solid 9, 10 episode arc like the first season. Mm-hmm. But the... the the network got greedy. They wanted more Twin Peaks, and they getting it. And it, the quality is just going down and down. And the viewership it's get worse the more we. <laughs> and, and the viewership was going down and down. People did not care, and the uh, was, the, the they were too far in the course correct at this point. Like this is, this is what we were going to get. Thanks ABC. So. Then, you know, Ben brings in Cooper. If I seem a little like I'm drabby about this, you guys, because it's drab. But Ben brings in Cooper and wants to be the drop-off man because of the special relationship they have. And then we go to Josie and Pete. And she's come back from Seattle, which we know she was involved in everything. And, you know, pretends that she doesn't know what was going on. Okay, great. Don't give a fuck about Josie. So then we go to One-Eyed Jacks, and actually something interesting happens. Um, uh, Apparently, you know, fucking Emery brings uh, Audrey over to to, to Jean Renault because she was acting up. And Audrey's like, he fucking hit me. (laughs) And so fucking Jean, who hates Emery, and Emery's just a terrible person. It looks like he's going to, you know, we all, the whole audience, everyone thinks he's going to kill Audrey. Because he said Audrey can't live. And instead he kills Emery. And he is like gaslighting Audrey big time, right? Oh, like, yeah. 
you know I wouldn't hurt you. I mean, this guy is doing some classic abuser shit to her. Um, which maybe explains the return a little better um, with with Audrey. And so, oh, God. My notes are now too fucking Dick Tremaine again. Okay, this is where the Dick Tremaine storyline, we already talked about it. This is where it should have ended. Because this is where the abortion conversation comes up. And um, essentially, but Cooper tries to work things out between Lucy and Andy. And this is where we find out that Lucy was, that they weren't actually like faithful. And it just, uh, Joe, help me here because I'm just, I'm getting into the doldrums, buddy. No, this is just stupid. It's, I, I don't care. It's, uh, Dick shows up with an envelope of money. He's like, yeah, let's take care of this problem. And Lucy's upset. <laughs> uh, I mean, and she uh, says, walk out of here, take your money, I never want to see you again. And I, and that should have been the end of Dick Tremaine. Because that should have been the end of Dick Tremaine, right there. Because, and th- again, padding, they have to pad these things out because I don't know, I don't know if this was supposed to be another, like, nine or ten episode season and then they it just ballooned out. I don't know. But I, probably just given how it... <laughs> We get these pointless characters like Dick Tremaine and John Justice Wheeler and, oh, Christ, there's so many of them and they're just, none of them are interesting. No, and so then, uh, then Donna does her stupid fucking Donna Drew Mysteries at the diner (laughs) and is pissed off at, you know, Maddie and, and James and, but says that Harold had had a secret diary and that they're going to fucking steal it from... Yeah, they're hatching a scheme. Why the fuck don't they just go to Cooper? I mean, what the shit? You know, this is just fucking dumb. So then we get to the diner. They... Well, like, we skipped over... Like, but what happens is... So Donna went to Harold's, and Harold... Yeah, I straight up have Laura's secret diary. Yes. And yes. she... His excuse... Like, she... And she, Donna finally has a moment of clarity where like, Hey, I'm being kind of really stupid with this. Hey, Harold, let's bring this to the sheriffs. I mean, it's an ongoing criminal investigation. There might be something in here. And Harold's like, no, no, there's nothing in here. No, no, no. It's just, there's no solutions to be found in here. How does he know? (laughs) He's a shut in. Yeah. 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 And again, it's, and he reads a passage. Just oh God! That's just... <laughs> oh, and it's awkward. You know, basically, it's talking about how you know it's flattering the Donna, and then it goes into Laura Palmer's uh, big black cock gangbang. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, gangbang fetish that she has. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. All yeah. right. Each their own, I guess, you know? Each their own. Um, I wouldn't be reading this to a 17-year-old girl, though. But <laughs> no. And, That's me. It, I'm not I'm not as uh, perverted as Harold, I think. Well, and this is the thing. Harold used to be, uh, I mean, Harold's got to be in his 30s, right? I mean, he talks he's about mid-20s how... Mid-20s to he's 30s, got, yeah. Yeah, he's got to be, because he went to school. He was a horror culturist. He had a career, and then he fell down. 
So, I mean, he's got to be at least in his late third, I mean, late 20s. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's my take. And here's this 17-year-old girl, and it's like, whoa, Harold. Whoa, you fucking, you know, now. Give now, her booze. <laughs> yeah, yeah, giving a 17-year-old girl booze. I mean, we're getting in the Scott Pilgrim territory here, Joe. Oh, God. <laughs> into something here. It's. So he's boozing her up, and he's reading, like, perverted passages from Laura's private diary that he has, mm-hmm. happens to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gross. We, we'll find out why he has it in Firewalk with me. Yes. It makes more sense in Firewalk with me, but things get right calm because it would have made more sense for him just to give it to Donna or give it to the sheriff at that point. But what? regardless. So we squashed over this part. Cooper realizes that they need to have a conversation with Josie because it's very suspicious that she was gone. Oh, the owner of the sawmill happens to vanish the very same day and burst into flames? Yeah, and Cooper obviously knows this, and Harry's like, you need to let me do it. So, you know, this is where we see part of the little bit, I feel like, of of the secret history, Josie. Where she does something very classic, and I pointed this out to my wife when I was um, when we were watching this, is that Harry starts asking her questions, and rather than being truthful, she makes it sexual. She tries to not answer his things, and this is a very, very, very classic maneuver of um, of uh, socio and psychopaths, where they will um, utilize. Um, other means, including sexual charms, to avoid having a real discussion. And because Harry's trying to ask her questions, she's like, take me, just take me, what does it matter? Whoa, blah, blah, blah. And she bought this really expensive dress and it's telling him to tear it, and Harry falls for it. Like, we find out Harry's got a real dominant sexual preference because he tears that dress and (laughs) goes right in the fucking Josie, like, like a fucking freight train. So, meanwhile, fucking creepy Asian guys getting off watching it the whole time. Like that was weird. <laughs> he's just, he's just standing there, and we find out that's her cousin, cousin Jonathan. Yeah, but she doesn't. She, doesn't she uh, introduce him as her brother to Pete? The Pete, it's her brother. To Harry, yes. it's her cousin. Yes, yes, and that becomes important. But well, he's not the only creepy Asian we get. <laughs> Oh, we're going to go to Mr. Tamajura now? Tamajura, yes. Um, Boy, there's a lot to unpack with this one. I don't, okay, I don't think we unpack shit until we get to the reveal. Uh, 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 because this was a big deal, because even in the credits, this, it's credited as the person playing, um, playing Mr. Tamajuro is Fumio Yamaguchi. Okay, I mean, there is, that that's that's the actor. Um, so if you really want it to be spoiled, Google that at uh, Google uh, Fumio Yamaguchi. But it's this is very like you look at this guy, and you're like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, Lynch Lynch wasn't involved in this one when you look at the writers and the directors, but you go, whoa. It looks like Frank Booth's <laughs> like in Blue Velvet. Frank Booth has a very like just bad disguise. Mm-hmm. It's like a mustache and a, a black wig and like sunglasses. 
It's like they brought it back for this character. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Fumajura is, but it's it's worse. Like this is some serious, like hardcore, uh, stereotypical Japanese shit. I mean, this looks like a samurai, um, like a like like a like a fucking. And when you find out who plays it, it makes it even worse. And that's yeah, (laughs) we're gonna get even worse. It's so worse. Like this is something that, like, you're like, whoa, okay, that's really that 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 could be toned down. I mean, fucking, what's his nuts from fucking uh, Revenge of the Nerds would have said this was over over the top. Um, God, what was his name in re- uh, the the Asian dude in in Revenge of the Nerds? I don't remember, but yeah, it's <laughs> when you find out the who plays this character, it just, dear lord, like. Even in 1990, this was bad. Like, like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Toshiro, Takashi, Takashi. It was Takashi in Revenge of the Nerds. Takashi, the guy would have been would have been offended by this. Um, <laughs> so this person shows up, pays in cash, and they immediately think this is MT Wentz, right? Like she called like you need to go to the double R and blah blah blah. And then, um, then, what else do we got going? The on? judge got... shows up. Oh yes, 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 yes. Judge Clinton Sternwood, who um, would have been slapped with about, who would have been a victim, uh, not a victim, but who had been called out in the Me Too movement. It does happen now. Holy shit! Um, calls, you know, gets a hug from fucking Lucy's. You know, calls her tall drink of water. Has a um, uh, what's her name? Uh, running around with him, Sid. Sid, yes, Sid. Ooh, and everyone's in, in in love with Sid, and they travel together to Winnebago. Like this guy is something else. But <laughs> the last of the frontiersmen. The scary. last, yeah, as, as he says. But he's actually has a really nice, uh, you know, conversation, things like that. But it doesn't take away from that this dude is a total creep. <laughs> He's very problematic. He's very problematic. That's problematic. It's Mr. Tamajura or whatever. Yeah, Tamajura. Yep, yep, Tamajura. But he is problematic. He's a he's a problematic character, and you know, but he has some really nice conversations and gets with Leland, and Leland's again not really acting himself at this point, um, which. Is a tell. It's a big tell. Yeah, this is the episode that's like, if you didn't, like, obviously when we first watched it, we didn't know, but then again, we were very little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. who knows where they were going to go with the season. These could have been more red herrings. Mm-hmm. Instead of basically like, oh, shit, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so then the, the episode ends with us seeing a whole new side of Josie. And um, and Hank Jennings getting his ass kicked and by a blues brother. By a blues brother. It's <laughs> he gets beat up by the blues brother's long lost Asian brother. Yep. <laughs> I mean, when we watch it, I mean, when we when we break it down, God, it sounds like it was a terrible episode. But when you actually watch it. It, I don't know. Why did it feel better than, than the last episode? 
Uh, I think just because Frost was one of the writers, so I think it flowed better. Yeah. I think it was, like, a little more interesting. Like, uh, we got a little more of, the, like, the Pearl Lakes thing. Yes. Uh, Hawk saying there was they can't figure out who lived in that house. Mm-hmm. But no Robinson ever lived there. Uh, we have Cooper setting up with Hank or uh, Harry uh, to go to the One-Eyed Jacks, and it's just it just flows better. I think it's it kept me more uh, in tuned. The last episode was just so bad. Well, just... we missed a big thing too. So after Cooper has a conversation with Ben, he goes to Harry and asks for the best Bookhouse Boys. But Bookhouse Boy, because he has to do something and he doesn't want Harry involved. And which doesn't make sense because, again, he has all these things at his disposal with the FBI. He could have easily called up Gordon Cole and Gordon Cole would have helped him on something. But regardless, so he goes to the double R. He tells him, I assume he tells him to go to the roadhouse at 930 and the best uh, Bookhouse Boy will be there. And of course, it's Harry. And so, you know, he's going to pour him a drink, and it's assumed that he's telling him everything about what's going on with Audrey. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's, it is what it is. Uh, I like seeing more of the Bookhouse boys and giving Cooper and Harry, because I really like the dynamic between Cooper and Harry. So, like, when we get more scenes with those two, I'm all for. But, uh, yeah, it's, since it's Audrey's unfortunate <laughs> Mm -hmm. and uh, you know and this is one of those things where you really i mean yeah hindsight's 2020 but joe i I mean i would have to think that even you and i now sitting i mean have we been sitting in a writer's room with these people would have said what are you guys doing this is some horse shit yeah and this is you know and this is one of those things that it's it became like TV shows we have now, we've talked about like showrunners usually stick around through mm-hmm. the whole thing. And at this point, Lynch and Frost were pretty hands offish. They gave them, from what I understand, they gave them like a blueprint. And then, like, the idea was like when big things were going to happen, that's when Lynch and Frost would get back in the game. Yep. Uh, the, and that's it, suffers. The show suffers when you do that. Like, and that's. One of the things, like, the first season worked because it was so self-contained. Mm-hmm. It was so streamlined, and you didn't have a whole lot of fat. And Lynch and Frost were pretty hands-on with that whole season that it, it flows. And then, like, there's 22 episodes, and, you know, Lynch has other things he's got to be working on. Frost does. It's just the nature of this and that. They're not getting whatever. They're not... The idea of a showrunner being one consistent person mm-hmm. it's like at this time it's kind of foreign it doesn't happen too often no especially on chris a carter, chris carter kind of after this with the x-files uh became kind of like made that kind of a more popular thing so he ended up and like with lost you had Lindelof and da- Damon and mm-hmm. you know Arrested Development you had Mitch Hurwitz uh, Community you had Dan Harmon uh, just these shows that like keep it consistent they had the one person who steered the ship and Twin Peaks did not have that this N- no and a lot of that was because of the backdoor bullshit that was going on I mean L- uh, Fra- uh, L- Lynch was so angry he made a movie 
movie. <laughs> He's like, fuck it. I'm going to go make a movie. I'm so dumb with this. Yeah. And so when, you know, when, when they were gone and they, by the time they came back and it saw what was being written and what had been done, um, you know, and we're kind of discussing the heavy things. They were written in the corners. Like, and you could kind of see, like, when, especially when, when Frost is part of the writing credit, like he is in this one, um, like he is in episode, in, in Lonely Souls, uh, like he is in episode 16, and, you know, then he doesn't come back again till episode, excuse me, um, uh, episode 19, it's off the rails by the time he comes back. Yeah. It's the inmates were running, started running the asylum. Like at this point, Lynch and Frost haven't left, but they're not too far from it with frustrations. Yeah. Uh, there's even, we've been kind of wrong. Uh, I've been reading more interviews. Frost had no problem with the reveal where Lynch did. And that was kind of a contention between those two. So you have the two showrunners button heads on this. And oh, the okay. network button heads with them. And then you mm-hmm. have the egos of all the actors who are now on this huge hit. <coughs> yep. Show. And yep. they're having to write around their characters because they don't want to be, I don't want so-and-so working with so-and-so. And that it just became a perfect storm of bullshit. Yeah. I mean, to give you guys an, an, an idea of what's coming up here, when we get to episode seven, so we got, we just did three and four. We're going to do five and six. Then we're going to do, I, I think that's how we decided to do it, right? We we're going to yeah, yeah, we'll do Lonely Souls as its own. As its own. That is the last time, okay, episode seven of the, of, of, of the season. That is the last time we will see Lynch in any of this yeah. until episode 22. Uh, 22. Until the episode 22, the final. So Lynch is basically done. Now Frost is only doing one um his brother wrote one of them wrote one of the episodes so i'll give him that um three his brother four five six episodes out of all of these and it it just you know they brought in a new writer to bring in a new writer trisha brock uh, that will start doing some writing of the second season. Barry Pullman. Uh, I mean, th- by the end of it, this this is a show that bottomed out at uh, at one point the viewership was like seven point four, and it had a twenty. I mean, it, I mean, it, it started the season with a nineteen point one million viewer, and by the end it was down to seven. Where unfortunately, even the last, even the season finale, or the series finale, ended at only ten million. I mean, it—that's how bad the writing gets. That's it's. And they're kind of bringing in like, they're also kind of bringing in like, at one point, Diane Keaton directs an episode, so they're bringing in like, Mm -hmm. celebrity directors, and just yeah, (laughs) I mean. Diane it's, not, it's not Diane Keaton's fault that she walked into like the darkest moment of Twin Peaks, and she yeah. does what she has to do with it. But yeah, uh, James Foley directs an episode. Um, 
the father of uh, Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Stephen Gyllenhaal directs an episode. Um, yeah, it's... Oh, boy. Uh, the, the, the director of Body of Evidence with Madonna directs an episode. Yeah, Holy it's devil. just they're bringing in... They're throwing... Yeah, so what happens? They, you know, this season... We kind of... I think it just, this season was troubled at the start. Uh, the more... Paul and I have been investigating into it. Uh, the more it seems like they, they just this season came in as a giant clusterfuck. <laughs> giant, and giant it was, clusterfuck. Like, where before we're kind of like saying, yeah, Lynch and Fr- I, Lynch and Frost weren't even on the same page coming into this season. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it got to a point where uh, I was reading this too, uh, where the Mulholland Drive originally was going to be a spinoff. Yes, it was. It was going to be Audrey Horn goes to Hollywood. Yep. And they somebody interviewed Mark Frost, like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, there was talks of it. And he said, when David was talking about it, he's like, I just, I couldn't work with David for a while. He's like, I had to stop working with this guy for a hot minute. Like, their, their friendship really deteriorated during this whole period. And it took a long time for them to actually get back. Even yeah, though they did on the air after this, they did do on the air after this. Yes, but what? they just, yeah, I I think that this season fractured them in a bit. Mm-hmm. It's success. A lot of it you can just say it's the success of the first season, and you have two people who are very different mm-hmm. their own ideas. Yep. Well, hell, even um, I read an article. Even um, the secret history. David Lynch straight out said, I haven't read it. That's that's Frost's interpretation of yeah. the history of Twin Peaks. That has nothing to do with me. Yeah, so, which is, there's also people, you know, like, yeah, Lynch says that. Uh, a lot of this shit comes from Lynch's handler, Sabrina Sutherland, who will, like, doubt. She'll shit on Frost whenever she has a chance, mm-hmm. it seems like. Uh, Frost... I believe Frost and Lynch hashed out the return and a lot of the secret history stuff that Frost put in the book. I think that's a lot of the stuff that was between the two of them. I, I think, think so. Lynch was totally unaware of what was in the book of secret history and the final dossier. He just said, he, what Lynch said is, I haven't read it. Yep. But I'm pretty sure he knew what was in it. He had to have. I, I mean, because obviously I feel like especially this, the final dossier was written was already written by the time the 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 return was um even before the return aired it just wasn't going to be released until after the return yeah and there's there's a reason for that too obviously obviously the end of the end of the final dossier would make sense if you've never seen the return exactly so i have to think that they were on the same page and that and that I think, and i think it's a lot of just shirt shit stirs or whatever like Lynch is like yeah I read it and he's you know he can when he says like that's Frost's version of Twin Peaks Lynch is also the person who will say Twin Peaks is like 70% Frost and 30% mm-hmm. so it's just like you gotta take what he says with a grain of salt sometimes like you know I think also a very be- feisty guy when he's not in like mood to talk about something yes, absolutely have you ever seen him in an interview where someone tries to bring up Dune yeah, or when they ask him like the meat, like uh, that. It, there's a famous where he says Eraserhead's my most spiritual film, and the interviewer says, "Can you elaborate on that?" And he's like, "No, no. 
<laughs> yeah. That's just it. That's full stop. That's just the kind of guy he is. Just... Yep. So have you watched, and I don't want to stir up shit uh, with, other, with other, you know, Twin Peaks fans and things like that. Have you seen the four-hour, the this one gentleman on YouTube that said Twin Peaks explained and did a four-and-a-half-hour um, explanation about how the whole show is around television? And, yeah, I've seen and, it. I don't like the host. I find him obnoxious. I'm sorry if you're listening to this, but it's just like it's a personality type that I just don't gel with. So when he's talking, I just I grit my teeth. And it's just like it's just like kind of know it all. Mm-hmm. But I'll admit I don't know everything about Twin Peaks, and I can be, and if I'm wrong, point it out. Where he, this guy, he releases like rebuttal videos when people point out when he's wrong, and I just I find that just when he takes such a hard stance. I'm like I know what this is about on a show that I doubt even Lynch and Frost know 100 percent what it's about. Then we have problems. You have problems, man. Well, and my 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 thing on it is that you know, I get where he's trying to come from, and I can at some point look at it and go, I can see it through your lens. However, I don't agree with the hype with, with the whole thing about it being about the this anti TV things of that nature. Um, because There's elements of that. There's certainly. A, the most blatant would be the opening scene of Fire Walk with me. Yes. The sledgehammer through the TV. That's Lynch's most blatant thing. Of That pretty much sums up how his experience with Twin Peaks was. Exactly. Exactly. I think there's element, and I think that's what he's getting fixated on. I don't think that's what it really is about. I mean, when you look at all of David, of David Lynch's work, um, even even Dune to an extent, because really Paul Muad'Dib and Paul Atreides from from Dune are there's some duality there. Everything with Lynch is about yin and yang, is about duality, is about this. You know, I mean, what you see. I mean, I think the most glaring thing, and we'll get into it when we talk about Fire Walk with me, is how opposite the town and the FBI and everybody is from Twin Peaks, right? Yeah. There's, there's, you know, there, what is, it's the iceberg effect. And I think Lynch is very, very, very upset. I mean, if I were to look at it, I look at it all as Lynch's, it's his way of taking the world and saying it's an iceberg. What you, the top you see is the five, 10% that people let you see what the things that fascinate Lynch is that 90% you don't get. Yeah, and that's a that's apparent in the opening scene of uh, Blue Velvet. You see like this uh, idyllic neighborhood, and then you start seeing like the bugs underneath every under the ground. Right, and what I really feel like Twin Peaks very blatantly, and when you know, I think when you get caught up in the imagery and the mystery and the strangeness of it, but when you pull the lens back and look at it for what it is. I really think that's really what Twin Peaks is about, is about how people's double lives in their normal life is killing them. Yeah, because everybody in the show has a double life. Yeah. And Even that, like the most like likable Big Ed has a double life. Yes, and that what is happening with that double life? It is eating away at him. Mm-hmm. And I 
think it's as easy and as simple as that. I don't think it's this big thing where it's TV and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, now the return is is kind of a different story. And I have to separate the return from this because the return is its own thing. Yeah. And we'll get to that. But there, I mean, what we're talking about now with all these subplots don't fucking matter. And that's made very apparent in the return. Yeah. Lynch <laughs> did not give two shits about anything really that happened after episode seven. All the way to when he came back on episode 22. He does not fucking care. No, it was. I mean, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong, but there is nothing that is addressed from basically uh, when, when we get the reveal. Um, all the stuff that comes back in the return is everything from that episode prior. Anything after except for the season finale. And even that is dropped in the return. And I, 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 I correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I can't think of really anything from season two that's brought up. There is a callback to Wyndham Merle's uh, uh, computer cell phone thing. And that's because Mr. C has it. Yes. First episode. But yep. I think that's more of a continuity thing, which it's odd since Lynch doesn't really give a shit about that, but I think he probably thought it was like a cool thing that they had. So he just reused it. But yeah, but even then, like a lot of the B, C, D and plots of this whole second season are just ignored in the return for the most part. The only, the only, we only get Norma and Ed really. And then a little bit of Shelly and Bobby. Yep. That's it. It was like, uh, we get, of course, Jacoby, but I think that's because Lynch and Frost were having a little fun with uh, Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely yeah, all not. these other characters, I mean, Audrey is a bizarre footnote. <laughs> that <laughs> it, pissed a lot of people off. Yeah, it pissed uh, Cheryl and Finn off, but it's like, uh, yeah, it, Audrey just didn't fit in that story. It's just... no. No, no, n- no. They were no. trying to do with that, but we're getting off the rails on that. We can talk about that. Yeah. Well, no, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, I just but like everything from the season for the most part, except for the giant. Is yes. But again, that's kind the of the white horse that. Yeah, lonely souls, and then like the the first episode are probably the only things that are called back. Yeah. Oh, I mean, anything really. I think I think a little bit's called back. Like I said, anything up to. Lonely Souls, going from Lonely Souls and Prior, and then again, part of Beyond Life and Death is is brought up as well, but really everything between those two things, you could tell that Lynch did not give a fuck and wasn't even going to fucking address it. He was done with it when it came to return, so uh, I don't... Remember, Frost co-wrote that too, and I don't think he gave a fuck about it either. (laughs) No! No, 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 no. Yes, absolutely, no. And, uh, you know, he... What he did give a fuck about is in secret history. Um, but no, I just wanted to bring that up because it was just one of those things because we're starting to get into some, like I said, some of the doldrums. And at this point, really, I feel like the whole symbolism, the story of what Lynch was trying to tell 
is very apparent by episode four by by Laura's secret diary that it's off the rails. This isn't what, and I think the viewership showed you know at this point that only twelve million people tune in because they weren't getting what they were getting in the first season. Yeah, uh, and that was you know a more streamlined, coherent story. It, like we brought up this thing starting to get bloated. There's a mm-hmm. lot of fat in it. There's a lot of pointless characters, and it comes from, and you know, like I said, Lynch, Frost are buttonheads. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lynch and Frost are buttonheads with the network. Uh, buttonheads with the stat, uh, the the cast, and yeah, it's. I think it was just a perfect storm. I don't unless I'm, they. Yeah, go it's, ahead. Uh, it's rough. It's rough when. Especially when you have 22 episodes and you have to fill that and you, you're you not really interested in a lot of this stuff. And you can tell Lynch and Frost don't have a lot of interest in this CD plot. They threw it in there as kind of like, you know, just kind of like, you know, like the fill in the gaps and whatever and kind of make this town interesting and give you characters. And now they're just adding characters for no reason. <laughs> Well, and getting back to that, this is something I meant to bring up, and that came up in this episode. And they started to draw from the um, what we glossed over last season, which was the imitation to love. Now Blackie has a sister that's with Jean Renault, and nobody cares. And nobody <laughs> cares. But it was like I'm like, okay, so this is whatever their names was, Emerald and Emerald and Sapphire, whatever the fuck it was from. Um, I mean, they start to actually draw from the fucking fake making fun of soap operas, soap operas that people in the first season to start creating filler in this episode. I mean, in this season, I mean, it that's that's pretty fucking like a soap opera instead of like a kind of a a spoof of a soap opera. (laughs) Yes, the writers started making it an actual soap opera versus the cynical nature of what it originally was intended. And that is very apparent by the end of this particular episode. And considering like how the tone was set up, because we brought up the first episode, it looks like it's going to be a much darker season than what we got in the first season. And then it just seems like, yeah, and then that spun out from that vision into, hey, let's make a, a wacky soap opera. Mm-hmm. I seems it's such a jarring so if you compare may the giant be with you with laura's secret diary it's like whoa what how did you go from the tonal shifts here it, yes and that's exactly and again i the, i mean 100 percent. and people really started to feel that right after that first episode you know and i don't know i don't get it um you know it is what it is so um well next week we got the orchids curse and demons. Yeah, I'm reading the synopsis for demons and it's oh boy, oh boy. Shelly and Bobby, <laughs> welcome home party for Leo. At least we get Gordon Cole. And if I if I remember, we're gonna get some interesting things about Bob in in demons. Yes, I'm mm. pretty sure we do. 
Mm-hmm. But, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have Lonely Souls, and then we're going to be miserable for a couple episodes. <laughs> uh, well, Lonely Souls. Yeah. Well, no, we're going to do something after Lonely Souls, and then we're going to be miserable until we get to the... <laughs> the well... We'll be all right, I think, because we're going to have Lonely Souls, and then we're going to have Drive with a Dead Girl, which is an interesting episode. Yeah. And then we have Arbitrary Law, which is an interesting episode. So we'll be good through episode nine, and then episode ten, that's when it's going to start. Uh, well, seven episodes before it picks up. What's that? We just have 11 episodes before it picks up again. Yeah, yeah. After episode 10. <laughs> after episode 10. After Dispute Between Brothers, which is a great episode. And Secret History makes it even better. Um, it's... It's a lot of fuckery. We got 11 episodes after that that is going to be rough. But yeah, no, we have... But I think the highlight's going to be Lonely Souls. Yes, Mm-hmm. That was an episode that really screwed me up as a kid. I'm pretty sure it screwed you up as a kid. I, that, you know, a lot of I, kids I, got screwed you, up. <laughs> you know the story already about how fucked up that was for me. And so I will tell that story when we get there. Meanwhile, um, I do want to touch real briefly upon what we had been talking about uh, early on when we were bringing into it was the, was the Jacob Wetterling. And at this point, you guys... It's just uh, nothing is solved. It's uh, we talked about brief- briefly. Um, it's very very quiet, and I think Lonely Souls is the perfect time for us to revisit that and discuss what happened twenty five years later. Yeah, and yeah, so we'll talk about that in Lonely Souls, and then unfortunately we we'll talk about what happened twenty five years later, and then obviously we won't really be discussing that. A whole lot until the return, mm-hmm. which happened to be an oddly timed return for Twin Peaks. Jesus Christ! When we, when we get, yeah, it's like a few, like six months before, seven, eight months before, we yeah. find out who kidnapped Jacob Wetterling. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we'll talk a little bit about that and like more about that when we get to Lonely Souls. But at this point, it's just. It's just terrifying. I mean, we're getting news stories every day. They're still, I still remember this. Um, my parents would watch um, WCCO in the morning and NBC at night for, for the news. And every morning you see this, you know, the pictures of, of, um, of the kidnapping, of the suspect. You would see photos of Jacob Butterling. And even at this point, it had gone on for so long that they were starting to try to, you know, bring up, like, what he could look like yeah. with longer hair, with shorter hair, um, Jacob Wetterling. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we're just, it's just a fucking tragedy. Yeah, and then we, a few years after, you know, Twin Peaks was off the air, we actually start seeing computer-generated how he's looking if he was 16 mm-hmm. and then at 20. Like how he'd look at as an adult because he just nobody knew. Yeah. Nobody knew yep. if like he was, you know, somewhere, anywhere, 
like this is what he'd probably look like. It it was weird because there was it was he just vanished. That's the scary thing about Wetterling is he vanished. It wasn't like we had a body, so it's horrifying, but there's conclusion to it. We know what it is. Jacob's body's not found until 2016. Years later. And um, to give you an idea, um, it was, um, I I, I think, if you remember, um, about the time that Jacob Rutterling was kidnapped, they came out that miniseries called I Know My First Name is Stephen about about the boy that was kidnapped and was raised. And I really think that Patty, that's where her heart was. Yeah. I think a lot of people were hoping for the best, but I think most people were under the assumption, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the, oh, the police basically were convinced at that point. But, you know, obviously family, you know, if you went through that, I couldn't imagine as a parent going through that. But... Yeah, I really think that's where, you know, that's why you still have these composite sketches of what he could look like when, or um, computer generated um, uh, pictures of what he could look like when he was 16 and 20 and things like that. Because I really do think the family wanted to believe that he was kidnapped and, and brainwashed and believed to be, you know, that it'd be another one of those uh, stories like the, like, like, you know, I know my name is Stephen, and that's based on a true story. So I think they really, really felt that. So that is hope, why that hope gave a lot of good things, though the Wetterling Foundation for missing children, mm-hmm. and like all sorts of awareness. So I mean, that it was horrible, and like you know, I couldn't imagine the pain they went through, not knowing for that long. Mm-hmm. Yes absolutely absolutely so um yeah so that's why we haven't really discussed it it's not that it's not interesting us it's not that it's that it's that at this point in our in our childhood this it's the it's like they've given up except for the family and and the news stations and things like that the case just went cold the there case just... really cold uh i mean and there's and the weird thing is like in saint cloud speculation just kept growing and like rumor mills and like even up until like i remember people coming and i was working at cd warehouse at the as like 2007 and people were coming in like talk still talking about it and like they had the oh there's these pedophile this pedophile family yes. skirts and shit and like you're hearing all this stuff still so yep. pulling up from time to time oh it was something that was never dropped and there was always theories on it of who it could have been and what it was. And, you know, you'd hear um, stories, you know, uh, of, of other cities that would have like a murder or a kidnapping or things like that. And people would go, it's the same person. It's the same person that got Jacob. Guaranteed, if they get the person that got this kid, they're going to get the person that got Jacob. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It well, never, never ended with Wetterling. It, like, it went right. Mm-hmm. We would hear things and like, you know, like we were hearing rumors from just think of it. We were hearing rumors and speculation and all this from when we were nine, eight, nine and ten up until our mid thirties. Yeah. When it was finally when the when it was finally solved and it was solved. But yeah, yeah, uh, but this was something that never left the social consciousness 
of the area. Yeah, and it was we were hearing it and for it for 20, 20, over more than 20 years. So to, most of our lives we were hearing nothing but, you know, we were hearing speculation all the time. So it never left. It's, no. and it, the, the speculation got more bizarre. <laughs> and people's theories got even more off the rails. But 100%. But yeah, it was still on everybody's mind. It's just. That's that was, yeah. I just couldn't imagine. No, I mean, you know, I can't imagine as as the family going through it. I mean, having lived through it uh, from a from a third party outsider perspective, that was enough to fuck me up. It was enough to fuck you up. It was enough to fuck us all up. And so. That's again. It's it, that's why we haven't really discussed it these last couple episodes, because uh, you know, again, at this point, there isn't much there. We, like I said, we'll talk about it more on Lonely Souls, um, and you know, and then when we get to the return, I think we'll really dig into it and really go into the whole what was the twenty-five year journey. Yeah, there's um, a lot to unpack with that, especially with the what happened in those twenty-five years, and then. There's, I mean, there was still, there's a lot of drama. After. There's a lot of, even after, there's a lot of drama. Yeah. Suits and everything. Uh, so. Yeah, so we'll get into that. But, all right, Joe, well, do you want to take us out? No. <laughs> How about um, you all? I'll do it. I'll do it, son of a bitch. All right, well, once again, you can catch us on the joedown.blog. Um you got the podcast about the community store. You got the obvious Joe down Joe. You started the, uh, the, uh, fast and furious podcast. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's Joe down month. We're going through all the fast and furious movies we haven't reviewed. And we've only reviewed the seventh one and a spin spinoff movie called Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, so this whole month we'll be doing twice a week, uh, releasing podcasts, uh, going through the avoir of uh, the Vin Diesel-led franchise. Uh, it goes off the rails. I love it. Uh, it's not highbrow in any <laughs> And I will never admit that Fast and Furious is a highbrow franchise. But it's a lot of fun to watch. And then, yeah. So that's what we'll be doing this month. Uh, what's coming up with Cast That Movie, Paul? Uh, cast that movie. We will be recording, um, by the time we listen to this, we'll be recording that day. It will come out, um, uh, next week. We will be doing, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, the movie, <laughs> uh, for our recast. And which you'll love because it has your, uh, as your, as your guy from Seinfeld in it, Mr. Jason Alexander. Um, and our recast will be the origins of SNL. Um, which is very fascinating. Um, so I have some information on that. Um, so that will come out next week as well. So yeah, you could. Sh- oh, go ahead. One more thing. Uh, so this is typically on your uh, your your podcast, but I forwarded it to you today. So what's oh, some God. casting news here, Paul? Oh, for son of a bitch! I don't think we can wait until next week. That's why uh, I put it up. So, all right. So, yeah, I'll give you some casting news. You know this. 
Um, as some of you may know, Tiger King is going to be made into a um, into a uh, series, a scripted series. Uh, Kate McKinnon was already uh, done to play uh, Carol Baskins, and they got their Joe Exotic. It will be none other than crazy ass himself, Nick Fuck Cage. <laughs> I was so excited when I saw that after hearing you guys talk that casting news last episode. Yeah. Because <laughs> you guys yeah. were bringing up some good ideas who should, who could play <laughs> Joe Exotic. And I was like, man, they went total. <laughs> they outdid you guys. They went for batshit. They, uh, I am not excited about that casting. Um, you'll hear about that, uh, you know, we'll be recording tomorrow. So you'll hear about that in a week. I'll be shredding that apart. So, yeah, everything's at the Joe Down. You can find us on our YouTube page. Um, your podcast, you know, will, um, just so you guys will know, the, the, the Joe Down um, blog for the Fast and Furious will be on um, Spotify. So if you don't have an account, make a Spotify account hear that you want to hear that i listened to it this morning um and even though i i will totally admit that i have avoided the fast and furious movies um i couldn't help but just laugh throughout the the podcast that you guys had done um so we'll be back next week uh for this one for um or the orchids curse and demons um and until then um my advice is if you guys ever have to fucking shoot or find out that your abusive um, spouse is is shot and paralyzed, let him go to jail. Don't take the insurance money. 